to the Wrestling Max Podcast. Bang, bang. You know, girls, why don't you give it to them one more time? Woo! That's who's standing here today. Hold one. Arm drag. Hold two. Arm bar. This is Rep screwed. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. All three, the moss-covered, three-handled family credential. From the top to the bottom, because I can't handle the macho man Randy Savage, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Oh, oh, it's the Maddie Daddy. That's right, we are live and in living color. King of the Ring 1998. Get yourself ready for some old school, old school wrestling at its finest. Stone Cold undertaker mankind we're getting it all tonight guys but we went got the book and i said i got a book i gotta book the lucha that makes you want more you hear them you're chanting it yes sir here it is get flash what's up baby oh maddie daddy it is good to be back it has been way 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 too long since i've been talking some wrestling with you in here and i'm super excited to bring it back to the mecca of the time the attitude era in 98 talk some king of the ring dude lucha cruiserweight heavyweight you name it the last couple months on the wrestling map podcast your popularity has really taken off as you rose through the ranks you went from being just this kind of little-known phenom with your grandma to surpassing blueprints and diamond studs and all these other characters on the wrestling mat. How did you do this at such rapid pace? Well, it's just all about outworking, outperforming, outthinking, just outdoing every piece that we have to offer so far. So I don't know who else can come try to take my mantle right now. Lucha, if you ain't thinking, you stinking. But I got a new competitor for you tonight. Bring it. He hails from San Diego. This guy, he's all over social media. He runs his own sites, his blogs. He's hitting you with the gaga. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And as old Aerosmith would say, like this. Jaywalk, baby. Welcome to the show, my man. You got it. Your attitude error, right? This is all the fun stuff that makes you think about uh, how good it was back in the day. You know, it's just it still has that uh, that ring of like a carnival feel, traveling show kind of wrestling. So it was good going back, seeing that kind of stuff. Carnies, but just attitude at its finest. Nineteen ninety-eight. We're talking Titanic, we're talking Deep Impact, we're talking Game Boys, Tamagotchis, you name it. This is pop culture at its finest. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, man, what a ride we're about to go on. As my good man would say, 
Let's do it. All right, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 17,000 strong. Burr, it's not cold, but it is the Igloo Center. In June, man, 1998, King of the Ring. This isn't your just your crown and your robe. This is this is attitude. We've got the main events of Kane and Stone Cold First Blood. We've got your mankind and Undertaker and a hell and a cell. But we have an interesting undercard. King of the Ring. CJ, we're about to see Shamrock, The Rock, some other characters. By 98, what do you think about this King of the Ring tournament? Do you think it's kind of on its last legs, or do you think this is in the heart of it? I mean, realistically, it is one of the last ones, so it is probably on its last leg, but I've always been a huge fan of King of the Ring. I love these ideas of tournaments, and so because that reality gives that real feel to it, and it makes even any singles match worth something and i think that's something we're actually missing out a lot on in today's programming is where matches mean something more than just like you looked at me funny now we're gonna rematch you know things like that so i like having that backstory behind it and i like building new up-and-coming people like ken shamrock in this it was one of the biggest storylines was his build jay baby i gotta ask you when i recruited you onto the show got you listening got old school wrestling pumping through your veins you said maddie if you ever do that mankind undertaker hell in the cell hit me up and now we're here it's crazy to think about right i uh i have a good memory of this because i remember this is like me and all the other bad kids in the neighborhood got our money together and we bought this at the like the worst kids house and freaking all picked out and watched it was good times we're just doing homework, Mom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you're the reason I had to watch this card. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lucha spitting fire right off the bat. Like I said, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the home of Kurt Angle. This is right before then. This is the Igloo Center. This is Jim Ross and JR. Jay, thoughts on this announced team? I think Jim Ross is maybe the pinnacle of the whole show he keeps it going like uh we've discussed off air the uh undercards are a little underwhelming underwhelming but um i personally enjoyed them but you know the whole time you have jim ross is this ringmaster just commanding and keeping the action going because there's wrestling going on and it's a different style of old school wrestling but the way that jim ross keeps you engaged and then you got uh <laughs> the king on there just cracking jokes making jokes that wouldn't be uh He'd probably be having to catch words afterwards for some of the stuff he said, but hey, it's different time, you know? It's good stuff. Different time, different style. Yeah. I can just see uh I can see Jim Ross talking to Lucha. Oh, Lucha, he's uh he's a real strong deadlifter. He uh he went to Colorado State, five star recruit, do some flips for us. <laughs> oh man that's a good one yeah i love this announced team honestly it's actually really one of the things i miss a lot i mean again it is definitely of its time with some of the jokes and, and we'll see a lot of that the time you just put yourself back there but yeah jim ross just one of the best you can actually ask for and everything we have is good old jr so you can't really ask for anything better than this announced team that we have and then some of the guest announcers definitely highlight a lot of um the king as well as we'll hear later on Let's get to it. We're going to get to Taker. We're going to get to Austin. But we have to hit this undercard, ladies and gentlemen. Out first. That's right. Headbangers. Your punk rock, your classic, I guess your 90s grunge. 
They're out with the makeup on the face. They got the earrings. They're wearing skirts. They're just that typical style, but it's not just them. It's Taka Michinoku. Taka, your light heavyweight champion, kind of WWS version of the cruiserweight division. So they're out first, and they have a three-on-three -three match with Kai and Tai. Only thing I remember from Kai and Tai is the Val Venus skit. But you had Funaki, you had Men's Tio, and Dick to Go. How do you get a name? Your your name's Dick to Go. Is this just a? This has to be a a rib, right? This is a Vince McMahon special. No. That, that, Okay, that's, that's the whole thing. It is. Yeah, dick to go. God, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, think it, you think it's a typo, and you're just like, nope, that's what it I is. I love it. Thing. No, it's good <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, like I said, yeah, Vincent Man specialty. I think it was it was a fun match, especially for a bonus match that was kind of thrown in there. Um, interesting choice of attire by both teams because we have the whole headbangers with their normal attire going in, and then we have – Taka going in as well with the same exact attire, skirt, wearing the same shirt. And then even Kai and Tai has like an Iron Maiden shirt on. So like, yeah, you know, like what, that's what I didn't get. Kai and Tai rocking this like grunge rock, you know, outfits too. I think they were going for more of a tourist look, making fun of America at that time. So I think it's kind of what the whole thing was. Or like trying to engulf themselves in American culture one that, around that time frame. Because again, they were more of a joke stable, but the wrestling itself was probably some of the best opening matches you can ask for in terms of the way the moves work together, especially for a match that like no one had on the cards up until the day. Cause they had a lot of things going bonus on behind the matches. scenes. Yeah. yeah. Bo bonus matches. Thrown well, on I think there. that's something to bring up now. We're, we're talking about these undercards that aren't so sexy, but you had undertaker with a bum ankle stone cold, just coming out of the hospital from staff infection, running a fever. So you had a lot of backstage stuff that kind of made these early matches kind of have to expedite the process. Yeah, 100%. But I think, like I said, as far as the matches that kind of were undercard, this is a highlight early on for me in terms of how it wrestled. I wasn't excited about the people in it, so I was pleasantly surprised with how the match turned out personally. Do you have any memories of the headbangers, Jay? Mainly just the the caricature of it, you know, they were kind of side characters. Um, it was cool to see them team up with, uh, uh Taka. with Taka. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it, that whole intro when he comes in and he changes and puts on the grunge attire and like headbangs, that was pretty cool. Dude. Uh, my biggest takeaway was even now I'm not a Taka fan. I just never, I think I was spoiled in WCW with their cruiserweights. And even the, I remember having the headbangers toys. Like I had the wrestling ring with all the figurines. And even then I knew like headbangers were lower tag team card. Like these guys don't have it. Mosh has been around forever. And I believe he did some like leave it to beaver, you know, I believe that's what it's called with uh, some girl, but yeah, just a different, different time, man. Beaver Cleaver. That's what it was. Beaver Cleaver. That's what it was. And he was obsessed with his mom. One of the worst gimmicks of all time. Yeah, it took me a second to remember that one. Yeah, Beaver Cleaver. And they're still wrestling. The headbangers are. I mean, milk it while you can. Like, power to them. The headbangers. Mosh and Thrasher. Dude, but let's keep going. It gets, it starts like that. Good match, good pace. And what do you hear? The whip crack. Ow! Sable. Sable in all black leather walking out. This is the hottest thing of professional wrestling. 
at the time. And she's coming out to sh say she's joined with McMahon and his goons. But Sable, man, this is a big one for me because this is what got me where I couldn't watch wrestling as a kid. So instant thoughts of Sable, Jay. I know you, as a kid, dude, this was everybody's, you know, oh, yeah. 101 in mock drafts, right? <laughs> yeah. No, so I thought it was pretty funny seeing, because uh, I forgot McMahon had goons like that. So when she was leaving, I noticed one of the goons slapped her on the butt. Yeah. She slaps him, you know, makes a big deal. I wonder if that was scripted or not, because you never yeah. know. No, but I just remember uh, McMahon is kind of, in this whole special, he's kind of like Caesar. Like it's always an over-the-shoulder camera pointed at him viewing the ring from afar. You know, right. and he's right there with the dame. With So I think that this all kind of uh, having her go to McMahon's side kind of uh, helps with the whole vision of having him be like this arch nemesis from afar in this uh, special. CJ, we were just reviewing WrestleMania 12 where Sable started as a lackey for Triple H. She is uh, Mark Marrow's wife. So fast forward, you know, not even right at two years. Mark Marrow's not even part of the company or he's not even on the card. And Sable's the hottest thing in wrestling other than Stone Cold. Kind of crazy to think, dude. Yeah, it is one of those crazy situations. I think it's an interesting one with all of that going on. And again, she's an elevator. That's what she does. She elevates whoever she's with and she has that presence about her. So that's why it's really important with what they did with uh, Mr. McMahon. So it made, again, made him even more as that evil heir to Stone Cold. So again, we're talking about someone, Stone Cold, the hottest thing in wrestling. Sable elevating the biggest heel above it as well. So it's a great dynamic going in. And to talk about that uh, that butt slap into a slap, I'm not sure that was um, <laughs> at all because he got real mad and real sexist real quick. Yeah, dude. And what's crazy is the backstory of Pat Patterson of this. He's the one who did the butt slap and what kind of something kind of something to wrestle with kind of kept on. I'll kind of lead to later on during the Mick Foley match with Pat Patterson, who did the butt slap. Just crazy how his night kind of goes as well. Um, so Sable Vince comes out. He said Stone Cold's going to lose at all costs. First blood match, whatever it takes, it's going to happen. So just kind of precursors. But like I said, we're dealing with an injury, so we got to kind of take that screen time. Then we get our first King of the Ring match. You hear the music. That's right. Double J. Been around forever. Dad, Jerry, Jerry. Hey, Jay Walt. It's seeing uh, JJ with the hat and come in with that yeah. head up with the silver. Oh, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, he definitely Dude. took me back because he was in WCW as well. Yeah, WCW, that? and he held Vince up for money multiple times. Like, who who goes out there and is like the night of a pay-per-view? Like, hey, I'm not going to wrestle against China unless you uh, guarantee me this amount of money. And he gets it. That's smart it's negotiating. Dude, just just a hustler. And then yeah. Tennessee Lee. What about this like Colonel Sanders looking dude, CJ? Like J E double F J double R E T. How about this outfit Jeff Jarrett has? God, it's so bad. 
but it works so well for this because you want to hate him so much and you're supposed to that's the thing tennessee lee is over the top with that southern gimmick Pat in his face and he's all sweaty and double j's got all the the big lights going and the right. strut going and that terrible outfit but it does exactly what you want you, you want to boo him you want to punch him in the face and and it feels good when it happens when he does get punched in the face during the match Dude, and then, so you got Double J right now. He's kind of, he feels like he's still stuck in 1995 with the hair. You'll eventually see him transition to the Slap Nuts t-shirt. And he's doing the guitar and he's got, cuts the hair. He gets Deborah McMichael. Everybody loves Deborah. So Jeff's in the ring, man. And then we get kind of one of the main eventers of this whole show. Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. The inventor of one of the first of UFC. Just a dangerous dude. And as a kid, like, I was hyped for this guy. I thought he could beat everybody's ass. And I think wrestling fans were kind of on that level, too, because you see the blurs of real life and, you know, entertainment mixed all the time. So Ken Shamrock's perfect for this attitude era, don't you think, CJ? Yeah, I thought it's great. I mean, my notes was like, wow, Shamrock's jacked. That was like the first thing I wrote when I saw him because like he's just like, like Jarrett's in really good shape. Like, and I'm and the, and Shamrock's just bigger in every single way, and that we see there. One thing that really I like about this is because it again, adds a level of realism that we see even today with like the Brock Lesnar's and things like right. that. It like started all of that. Because back then UFC wasn't what it is today. A, it wasn't as big. B, there was almost no rules. So blurring that line and having that go together, it added the more realism to the WWF at the time. Because if they can pull a guy like Ken Shamrock, the way I literally just saw break someone's face in right. to here, what's he gonna do inside this ring now? So again, it, it um, definitely elevated WWF by having that realism, in my opinion, for that time frame. Jay, so we see him and him and Jarrett go the boots. We see the cool move of the Hurricane Rana to an ankle lock. Quick tap. This is first round, baby. We're trying yeah. to put Shamrock over. So this this isn't much of a match. There's a little back and forth, but you know, you can tell Shamrock's ready to dominate. And Shamrock, it, man, any takeaways? It ends with a, a big flurry from him. It's that running kick and that power slam right before and that puts him out and then once he sinks in that ankle lock that's when he taps quick so i think uh the, like you were talking about cj about that ufc lore that goes around and seeing the submission like that kind of blurred that line again for me to be like you growing up watching it and now even like how much does that hurt you know what's he doing there you know but it uh, not only, he's screaming he's like ah yeah. like yeah he taps quick you think he's you think he's hurting man yeah jared carried that match though as much as we want to like hype up shamrock jared's the one that really elevated shamrock in that moment because realistically shamrock is supposed to be nursing a shattered ankle that right. he's been he's been out for weeks he limps like once or twice and then like a second later starts sprinting <laughs> and just like bum rushing him and then just goes back and walks out and does his job right there. So I think I, I give Jarrett a lot of credit, and it's hard to say with a guy like Jeff Jarrett, but a lot of credit for carrying this match because Shamrock's really green, so I can't be too mad at him. He's not used to the style of, like, not fighting, you know, so. but Hey, as uh, JR says, he's been fighting his whole life, man. Yeah, like, he, he was. Raised he was himself he, pretty He much. left his parents at 10 years old, apparently. I got so That's what I learned by that. I was he like, just, geez. 
why do I, I feel like I'm the total opposite on the spectrum, Jay, with Jim Ross. Like he annoys me now that I've done all these wrestling rewinds from the college background. Like he just does it too much. Maybe I'm just, I'm becoming kind of an announcer connoisseur, I guess you'd call it. Now you could you're, get your like perfect team together too from all these rewatches. That's right. I, uh, kind of freaking out when I see Jim Ross say a little college football it gets to me yeah alright let's keep the card going man so you, we just had Shamrock world's most dangerous man get carried by Jeff Jarrett one of the best wrestlers in the ring and now we're getting dude so as much as shit as I'm giving Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler is the same no matter what. How weird, CJ, was it to see Michael Cole as an announcer? I mean, Why? not an announcer. Uh, this is your reporter from Channel 3. Michael Cole as a, what would you call it, backstage? An interviewer, interview? yeah. Just just, just like Shamrock rolls out of the ring just getting that interview. And it was just, it was weird. Because, like, he's so young. You can see, like, his beard's all, like, dark brown. He looks like he's just, like first day on the job kid and it's like that's michael cole and he's just as annoying as ever but you just know what he becomes it's just an interesting uh side note that's the only time you see him on the whole show but sticking with it from 98 and we're in 2021 and now he's, he's doing so much it. of the company yeah so that's that was like a cool little tidbit that we got to see in the show dude not only that but jim ross is still doing it jerry lawler's still doing it we've had michael coach we've had all these other guys kind of come and go and yet we're talking about a rewind and all three of these guys can be found on wrestling announced teams in 2021. Just fucking crazy, dude. You know who else can be found in 2021 taking over the world? What the rock is cooking. Dwayne Johnson, the rock man. You smell out. Jay, let me get, tell me, give me your, do you smell what the rock is cooking? Hit me with it. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? More cooking. More tough. Jay Walk, dude. The rock. How weird was it seeing him? This is like old school rock compared to taking over the world rock. I was uh, I tweeted about this the other day. I said, if you had told me in 98 that The Rock would be the biggest like movie star in the entire world by 2021, I'd call you a liar. Because at this time, he's, he's still called, uh, he's basically called uh, third generation. He's, they, every time they bring up his name, they bring up his grandfather, his dad, and he's trying to make his own identity, trying to become himself. Right. And uh, he's uh, in, this, in the group, The Nation, which is a cool group, one of my favorite groups growing up. So seeing uh, Mark, Hen Mark Henry is always like, you can take a mental note of when you see Mark Henry because he's so big. Dude. And uh, he comes in with Mustafa and I loved how the refs were like, get, get out of here. They'd like shoot yeah. him out. Not, not, we can have DX on this show 20 fucking times. But yeah. Not too much D or uh, Nation of <laughs> Nobody even comes out with Owen Hart, I don't think. Yeah, no, he doesn't at all. He comes out solo. Dude. CJ, The Rock, we're bringing it back to 1998. He is your IC champion in the King of the Ring. Um, 
The Rock in 1998 just finding his way, man. What are your thoughts looking at The Rock? Would you have seen him as a main eventer at this time? You can kind of see this, like the sprout starting with the nation. Right. Like that's the only time you saw because we're coming off like the Rocky Maivia where there's like the happy baby Everybody face hates him, yeah. and he's getting the die Rocky die chance. I think the he needed the nation as much as the nation needed him. That's one of the biggest things with all of that. And I think and this is where you start seeing him like acting as a leader in terms of then and then definitely I could see him being a main adventure the way it went, especially the way it goes on in the finals match that happens right. later on with him and Triple H that get into it a little bit. So yeah, from this I definitely could see him why they strapped a rocket to him. You know who we couldn't see with a rocket strapped to him? We just got the pleasure of seeing I'm hyping up Shamrock more than I should already. <laughs> Dan Severin. The beat maybe it's Dan Severin's fault. This guy comes in like with a nasty gray t-shirt that's got sweat stains all over it. He's rocking that jet black mustache, hair slicked back, and I'm like supposed to be intimidated. And I'm just like, this guy just looks like an old dad. Just he's like miserable. a bad he's a bad Dexter Loomis. That's like <laughs> essentially God. what it is. Like that's the whole thing. Like he's supposed to be this big badass guy, but he looks he literally looks like your dad. He and doesn't like, look like a badass though. Because when he, oh, he was a UFC badass too, but he's not Ken Shamrock. He's not because it's hard. Okay, the basic thing with this one, it's hard because you see Ken Shamrock and he looks like a badass. He right. is jacked as all can be, and Severn's a big dude, but like he's got that like belly fat and moving around. He's more like a grappler, and which is again great for blurring that line. But in a sport where it's all about like spots and like big things. He has no character, no flair, and he just all he has is that brooding uh, mentality to him, and and what the announcers pick him up on. And I didn't think he was bad by any means. I just think like he was fine, yeah. not just, not memorable. Yeah, not somebody you really want to watch. He's not a bad wrestler, but he doesn't bring anything to the table. From a, he's just technical. Yeah, so even, just, even the announcer were like, he threw a punch. I'm like, they're happy he threw a punch. Yeah, you know, like wrestling in a WWF ring. What? And like again, yeah. I'm all for those technical battles of like the reverse, 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 and all that. But in this kind of match, in this kind of like setup with someone like The Rock, who can definitely elevate that kind of back and forth punches, we've seen those punches. Yeah, boo, yeah, boo, all that stuff and things like that. And you can't do that with a guy like Dan Severn. So like, that's someone that just like pulls you down and anchors matches sometimes, even though it's so technical. Well, I thought something cool they kept bringing up was how Severn kind of put D'Lo Brown on the shelf. D'Lo is one of the most underrated wrestlers. If you watch in the ring and personality-wise, he's pretty damn good. But they say he had a pectoral issue because of Severn. And we kind of see that as the match ends, you know, of course, at the beginning, Godfather and Mark Henry are told to hit the back. Um but later on in the match, D'Lo Brown comes out, top ropes it, hits the fucking frog splash on Severn, and he's wearing that chest protector. And that's something he wore the rest of his career, which was crazy. So that was probably the first time anybody had ever seen, you know, D'Lo Brown rock that. Um, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, the Godfather. This isn't comma anymore. This is pimps up, hose down. 
We didn't see any O's tonight, but we didn't have these guys wrestle, which was, I thought was weird too, by having to watch like Midnight Express later and different tag teams. For as big of a team as the nation was, were you kind of let down, Jay? Not getting to see these guys kind of have a good role? They were kind of side bitches. Yeah, the most uh, you get to see out of them is when they come back out to distract the ref while D'Lo right. does the frog splash, you know? But, like, anytime you get to see Mark Henry hit a slam in action, you know, it's like anytime you see Vader, you know, he pops out. He just bursts off the screen because he's so big, so dominating, so much stronger, you know, and nimble, too. So not being able to see Mark Henry was really tough. But uh, I, I've had a moment while I was watching this, and I was like, there's so much going on behind the scenes while this is going on on screen, you know. And yeah. it's, just, it's one of those nights that, like, you can feel it in the stadium when you're watching it, like there's something special about it, but it's weird because it, it hits this high peak, but all these uh, undercard matches are just kind of. Yeah. It's you know, dragging out almost like you're yeah. waiting for it. And you uh, got to wait for that last hour to get there. I, I popped at a D'Lo Brown frog splash. I think he's got one of the, one of the best frog splashes, like underrated frog splash of anyone in all of wrestling. That little between the leg thing that he adds on is yeah. like so subtle, but like, it just like does it like it does it for me. Old D'Lo Brown, baby, we all love him here. Let's talk about too cool. Up next, we see kind of the backstory of Al Snow and Head. This is when he a time when he came back to the WWE or WWF, excuse me, and he's trying to get a contract. He's trying to talk Der Jerry Lawler into giving him a deal, and he's coming out, out as the Avatar just different things of al snow but he's always got his mannequin head if anybody uh has seen that i believe his mannequin head says help me on it if i'm correct just a different cat but 98 it fit um it takes literally stealing jerry king lawler's crown to get a match all right that's it we're booking you against what is called too much it's too sexy and too hot Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher, AKA, yep, too cool. Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty, too hotty, versus Al Snow and everybody's favorite, Head. Al Snow and Head, man. Jay, growing up, Al Snow and Head, you remember those guys? So all the promos, all I would remember is like the, the camera view where it's almost like he's the Joker where he put the camera right on him and uh, he'd have those like real close face-ups and like these crazy like uh, moments of insanity. But uh, I always thought that his character for, though it was chaotic, it always like brought what it was supposed to bring from like the side stories. Like there's Comedy. always supposed to, it, yes, exactly. There's supposed to be some levity to it, you know, cause uh, it's not all, you know, there's seriousness, there's blood, there's a lot of chairs. You gotta have there. a letdown, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So, like, this is a fun match. I I enjoyed watching it because it's basically a two on one. Um, how how but, about yeah. the disguises? How about uh head dressing up in the like the Spanish announce team or whatever? Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, I think the. Do you think it was one head, or do you think he used more than one head throughout his whole career? That's a good question. CJ, do you think he had like a duffel bag of mannequin heads or do you think it was uh, just, just the same one? I think Al Snow is a one head man. 
yeah. I think he, he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't do that to head. They 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 traveled together, they worked together. Everybody loves head. That's just how it works. Well, and like they say in the match, what is it? He does his promo. He said, "Tonight you're gonna get head like you've never gotten it before." <laughs> and I was just like, "You guys are cracking me up." But for Al Snow and Head, like it, it did its job, but too much, not too cool, too much. CJ, Brian Christopher, and Scott Taylor, these matching trunks. You had the blues, long trunks, and the yellow long trunks. And then, of course, we have eventually Jerry Lawler, who is Brian Christopher's dad as a special referee. What were your early thoughts of too much Brian Christopher? I mean, did these guys look like jobbers to you, or was it just me? They were total jobbers. I mean, Brian Christopher was so into himself. He believed he was the next big thing. So I'm sure his dad was in his ear the whole time, one of the best talkers ever. And Jerry Lawler in his own right, like I said, he's a legend. You know, you can't say taking it away from his in-ring or his out of the ring. But, yeah, Brian Christopher so into himself. And Scotty Tuhati, Scott Taylor at the time, it was hard to watch some of it. Because you can the, – the reason Too Cool works is because they leaned into it so much. Right. They like committed to it. Yeah. And they were like, we're dancers. This is our thing. We have a dance breaks in the middle too much. Just these two cocky guys that I, they look like they could have just come off the street if I didn't know them. But also a little fun fact before we get into this too much. Um, Scotty Tuhati, Scott Taylor was one of the zombies in the zombie no match way. at the pay-per-view this what? last weekend. Yeah. So little, little side note. So he's still doing stuff with the WWE, wow. but yeah, I was, um, that finished too, man. Putting the yeah, head that, and shoulders on the yeah. head to pin head. The shampoo like, bottle. Like, I get it, but it like was so fucking it's, corny. It, it's too hokey. It was just like, it's already hokey. There's a mannequin head in the match that got tagged in. We get it. There's a guest referee that is so one-sided. He's touching the shoulders of Brian Christopher before he counts a one to make sure. Like, th- to make that finish, I'm like, just... Just have him like knocked out or something. But I, d- I did kind of like where Al Snow thought he won to kind of extend the storyline, how he wants a interview with, uh, wants a meeting with Vince. But I just feel like it should have ended some a little bit better than a head and shoulders. You know, again, this is one of those Vinceisms where he's like, right. "This is gonna be so funny. This is good <laughs> shit." God, so bad though. Um, definitely got its point across. I think head and shoulders or snow or whatever snow and head were the winners of this match if you asked me i thought brian christopher was a good heel but i wouldn't have thought they'd be too cool at this point he's a good mid-card heel that's what he was though like i couldn't see him like (laughs) or whatever it was (laughs) he's but like with with his like ability at that time and what he was showing he looks like a guy that would be a good heel ic title tops like i can't i could not put it i could not fathom away with the way he wrestled and the way he acted at that time to put a, the belt on him, like the, the main title. And I guess that showed through. He never reached those peaks by any means. Let's keep this party train going. King of the ring, baby. X-Pac. That's right. X-Pac and Owen Hart. X-Pac out first with China. This is your DX versus nation of domination owen hart am i saying that right owen hart's in the nation of domination did everybody like see something here it was like wait a second but we get x-pac out with china 
You're getting the fireworks, the crotch chops. Everybody does a couple crotch chops, right? We still do those at work? Is that still cool or no? Um, not at my work, but I think um, you might be able to do it Maddie. Not with that promotion, CJ, my boy. <laughs> CJ's like in that million dollar man range. You went from Lucha Star to million dollar man overnight. Hard work, boys and girls. All right, let's get to it. Owen Hart out next. Owen Hart wearing the caution tape tights. This is not, I feel like this is how I'm talking about like how I want to remember my Jesus. You see Talladega Nights and they're like, you know how I remember my Jesus? You know how I don't want to remember my Owen Hart? Just looks like Bret Hart, just bitter. Coming out with the caution tape. Bret's already in WCW. But Owen Hart in the Nation of Domination? Jay, fill me in on this. What are you thinking about seeing Owen Hart as part of the Nation, man? He seems out of place, but that's like CJ was talking about is these Vincisms. Like it's so wild that it'll work. You know what I mean? And I right. th like you were saying, Brett leaving kind of did uh, leave a weird strain on the whole uh, WWE at the time. So he, he lost his tag team partner, his road guy, and now he's kind of having to navigate the WWE by himself. Yeah, so I think... We don't see any British Bulldog. We don't see any Jim Neidhart. Pillman's not here. Bret Hart's not here. This is Owen Hart, the one-man show. CJ, Owen Hart thoughts here, man. This has got to be a weird spot for him. He deserves better. He, like, he deserved better at that time. He was, he was too good to be in that area. He's one of those guys that I think, again, could have been up at the upper echelon of – going for main events but i don't think he wanted that personally on his personal side of it he was definitely a family man but i think as a wrestler i think he deserved better i just i love me some own heart so right off the bat you see xbox already in the ring own hearts walking to the ring they don't wait xbox dives through the ropes right off the bat to get this thing started and this isn't your traditional wrestling match which was weird because you had just what uh 93 94 i believe you had owen hart versus one two three kid as one of the qualifying matches of king of the ring it was a semi-final actually semi-final oh okay yeah. so this in what i watched 93 it was 94 yeah during the razor match all they chanted was one two three one two three the crazy thing about this one, too, actually, though, is this is on Waltman's first pay-per-view match since Fall Brawl 97 WCW. Because the neck injuries and just coming yeah. in. So this is it. So this is like one of his first matches back on a, on a pay-per-view scene, like having that mantle on there. So that's, a, that's an interesting fact about this match. But not only that, but then it's like a brawl, man. Yeah. It's not even like a technical match like I was expecting to see. Well, it's, it's kind of hard to be that technical wrestler the way the, they have Owen Hart booked and the way like, Waltman is. I don't think that would like have worked. I think it definitely is that scrappy fight was how it feels. It definitely feels like DX versus the nation. This is one of the ones that definitely elevated that like these are two feuding factions. And then we see that kind of manifest itself again later with Triple H and The Rock as well. So I think this was like I, I actually with two wrestlers that can wrestle. I did like seeing them brawl. See, I was I was on the other side of that spectrum. So, Jay, looking back at it, X-Pac, Owen Hart, what were your thoughts on this match, my man? I think the thing that really sticks out is how chaotic it is at the end. You know, um, 
Hart puts the sharpshooter on X-Pac, and then the referee's distracted because uh, all mayhem ensues outside, and then uh, China hit, ends up hitting the DDT on Bret Hart, knocking him out. X-Pac gets thrown on top of him, wins the match. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that, that for me, my one of my favorite things of the whole uh, pay-per-view that kind of caught me off guard was Vader popping in out of nowhere. Just Wait, what the fuck was that? Was that was so random. It's just I, I so was, random. They're what? like, who can beat up Mark Henry for a second? Oh, let's get Vader in there. Yeah. Vader's, helmet, Vader's in DX? No, but he just doesn't like Mark Henry's face. Yeah, exactly. I was like, right. what the fuck is going on? Why am I watching Vader in 98? If you have Vader on your team and you're having all these injuries, put Vader in a match. Like, have Triple H versus Vader for the European title thrown in there, and that would just be a good match that you can hold. You can right. hold a 15-minute match on that, or like, or 10 minutes just if you're buying time instead of some instead other of, Yeah. Instead of what's anyway. coming up next. So, Sorry, it's my rant on the... the no, not no I'm going to give a rant. Um, Owen Hart, I loved as a kid. I thought his, like, when he was a Slammy Award winner... You know, and he carried those around and everything. But I think he's a reckless wrestler. Like, I've watched enough matches. Uh, obviously, the Stone Cold SummerSlam, but, like, even some of the moves he was doing to X-Pac, I was just like, dude, take care of your guy. I know it's, you wanted it's to be his overconfidence. real. That's the biggest thing. He's very <sighs> overconfident. I think it was his biggest thing. But I see Bret Hart wrestle, and then I see Owen Hart wrestle, and I'm like, maybe you shouldn't be as confident because some of these moves look like they're hurting, you know, your, what was it, like the neck shot into the turnbuckle for X-Pac, like right off the match? And I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, some of these, some bumps. Yeah, just some of these spots I wouldn't have let happen if I was Owen Hart. Like, you know whose hype I'm not buying as well? Paul Bearer doing a promo. Oh, yeah, CJ and Jay. You said you wanted me to walk the walk, but I'm going to talk the talk. Um, that one's tough to say, man. But uh, it brought me back to that old-timey wrestling, you know, that, uh, just kind of those old-school promos. But I did love that they went back to The Undertaker uh, yeah. beating him up in his house. That was too funny. That was cool. Yeah. Well, what about the whole family dynamic of this? Like, That's right. You sometimes forget about it now, but Kane was his brother and Paul Bearer was the dad. How weird is that? Like, it made sense back in 98. Like, I bought it, but it just like... <laughs> And then Paul Bear with no makeup, like this has got to be one of the first few times that we don't get, you know, dead man. CJ, you a Paul Bear guy? Um, I liked him in small doses. I think he definitely serves a purpose. I don't like him solo on my screen talking for minutes on end. Um, I think You've this done this, been... CJ. You've done it to the dead man. I I. Yeah, I just think it could have been summed up a lot quicker and just kind of dragged on a little bit for me. Again, I think the time could have been allocated a little bit better. And again, so much is going on behind the scenes. There's so many things that we don't see that they're trying to like buy time for. But at the same time, I think that it could have, if it was shorter it would and sweet, I think that would have elevated it versus me literally pounding my head on the table waiting for it to end. And that's the thing I did remember. Like, it was cool seeing him bring up their brother's and, you know, Kane wanted to be like The Undertaker and all that. But like you said, it, he just lingered too long. 
So here's another match that just felt out of place. We just had Xbox go DX, baby. But we get the Midnight Express out first. Your NWA Tag Team Champions, Bodacious Bart. What was Bob Holly? I don't even know. Bombastic. Bombastic Bob Holly. Bob Holly with the skullet. He's got like that Hogan hair almost. That was, that was, it's always crazy to see when Bob, we see the Bob Holly with hair. That's always like the most interesting Spark thing. Plug and you, you literally, my entire brain just like removes his hair. And then I remember that I, I noticed <laughs> it's there. Like I just think of the hardcore Holly, like the bald head, just like beating people up. Yeah. Stiff as mean. Yeah. I see him smiling and running out there. And I'm like, who are you? It's like, is it Halloween? Like what is life at that point? Yeah, this was, this was the second of the bonus matches, though, as well. This was, like, yeah. booked that day. It was cool seeing, you know, Bob Holly. He just looks – he doesn't look like he's comfortable. Same with Bart Gunn. Like, Bart Gunn was a smoking gun, and that's all I can kind of see other than him getting knocked out in Brawl for All. Brawl for All, yeah. Right. So, his, his kind of – he's been tarnished. But I actually watched the Smoking Gun's debut – on the pod that just dropped wrestling Matt podcast, King of the ring 93, the smoking guns were part of the team with the Steiners. So that was kind of cool shooting the guns off in the ring. little smoke balls or whatever. Um, new age outlaws, man. This is the early stages of the new age outlaws. You see them come out. You see the dreads, you see the, uh, the intro, you see road dog hitting you. So Jay, you're, you're on the show first time give me your new age outlaws introduction ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages uh gosh world medicine federation has brought together the new age outlaws no 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 you ain't down with that cj what are they wait you got two words for them over there uh billy gun suck it yeah suck it <laughs> You need to say that a couple You better tell somebody. It. Suck it. Suck it. Call somebody. We pictured that. It's what we're podcasting. Yeah. Dude, you know what else was bad? This match. Why were we watching this shit? I mean, play- uh, I mean. Go. go. You go, go yeah, I, I'll, I'll I got one, one thing. Okay, so this thing drives me nuts as well. Because China was in the ring as a manager in the match before. She went backstage, put on a hat and came, or a bandana and came back out. First of all, I don't understand that <laughs> logic whatsoever. Second of all, we have um, X-Pac wearing red trunks in DX with the green. And then we have Badass Billy Gunn wearing blue trunks instead right. of the green. So it's just like drives me nuts when all this stuff doesn't consist together. But this is one of the things I think the entire Midnight Express was a rib to Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette hates... This so we're just seeing a bunch of Vince McMahon ribs. That's all this is. That's the whole pay-per-view was. Because like not even Jim Cornette actually recognizes Bart and Bob as the United Express. That's how much he hates this tag team. And you kind of get that feeling. Like Jim's doing his best to hype it up. But again, it looks like a jobber match. And they have titles on their waist. These are two guys that had tag team titles in the WWF. They even, they even called the WWF tag team titles before the match the bigger titles or the real titles. Yeah. And Man. like just... So like it's like why are we watching this? It's, it's a raw match at this point, just because you've already talked down these two guys that are supposed to be fighting for these titles, and then we have 
China getting involved again. We have Jim Cornette hitting people over the belt. It's it's so hokey. This whole show has so yeah. much interference at this point <laughs> that I'm like so drained of energy that I don't think there's gonna be a clean finish the whole night. And I'm not even sure we're gonna see a clean finish the whole night. Yeah. I agree on that one, uh, dude. Jim Cornette looks out of place. Owen Hart, Bob Holly, all these guys just don't look like they fit in the Attitude Era in these roles which just it just kind of shows you it's a it's a changing of the guard still so my big takeaway was my favorite part was when bob or uh, billy gunn told bob holly fuck you he just fucking <laughs> yelled at him in the ring and you can hear it and i was like what the truck is he doing dude like and then the china the patented china low blow i wonder how many times she did the low blow in her career that's a mean low blow. That was yeah. like that hurt me. Like, my my, <laughs> my, voice, my voice pitch went up. Like I was talking like this for a few seconds for Jim Cornette. You think China could take you, Jaywalk? Yeah, I think so. I'll be <laughs> honest. I'll be honest. I, I can get down, but she's like benching like three hundred pounds at that time. Right. Like she's huge at that time. But it it was cool to see her uh in three different matches and she she's like a big part of like the outcomes too so yeah. she's she's out there well she was the enforcer at that time like that was yeah. her role was to be the enforcer so she she did her job i just don't know why you have to change your hat every match yeah outlaws get the win here they weren't gonna have you know your nwa tag champs come on the wwf pay-per-view and win the titles so no nope. good spot to get the outlaws on yeah i would have liked them to somebody else but you're getting your dx fix that's probably what the crowd wanted that's what the viewers wanted i get it and now we're getting to the main event of the king of the ring this is actually a pretty good match i thought we get triple h out first with china he's on the announce table of course you got to take your shirt off if you're announcing why not right your triple h you got the body i get it um and then we get the rock out first Smell what the what rock, the rock is, cooking. is cooking. Rock's already beat Severin. It's getting some more UFC competition. The world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, nursing an ankle injury. <laughs> nursing an ankle injury, raised himself pretty much to get to this point, to be king of the ring. The Rock versus Shamrock. This was a pretty good pace match. Um, a lot of near falls. Shamrock Rock, man. We've seen this happen like three times in the WWF by this point. CJ, what do you think of this King of the Ring match? I mean, it was good. It, it served its purpose there. It's, again, the whole King of the Ring is built on elevating Shamrock. That was every piece of it. I think as a wrestling fan and watching the match and like watching finally Matt wrestle, I'm sure you were excited about that. It shows, again, how new Ken was. You see um, The Rock calling it. They have to get a rest hold, and he's literally talking in his yeah, ear for like, like two minutes straight. Um, one thing I really did notice is how invested the fans are in every piece of this match. And there's like one spot on the outside where uh, Rock picks him up and goes to like a drop on the uh, barricade, and he misses totally. And the fans just like, you just missed. They're just like yelling at him. And, and I think The Rock spits into the crowd at that point. And it was just such an it's such a different dynamic with all that. And you have Triple H on there elevating it. And, um, yeah, of course, we get China, who is known for Spanish. 
on the yeah, Spanish announcer team. That was probably the first time she ever talked was on the Spanish announce table. Yeah, and it was a something something Taco Bell, as uh, Triple H would say. Yeah, and what about <laughs> Triple H's announcing? Like he was totally in like that, you know, middle school, early high school vibe of just like, you know, saying like the most immature shit, but it fit. Vince McMahon loves that stuff, man. It was again the whole show was about pleasing the king up there the in his croc castle. Is cooking. Yeah. All these him and but, Jerry Waller were just probably cracking up. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was a good match all the way through. It was about 15 minutes. Um, the ending's exactly how it should be. I just wish they didn't play up the ankle injury so much and not to sell any of it. That's just my biggest takeaway personally. When you see you see this match is kind of goes back and forth, a lot of near falls, you know. And once he slaps on that ankle ankle lock, it's over. You know, pretty instant tap. So to me, Jaywalk, dude, we're looking at Shamrock just won King of the Ring. But the Rock's the IC champ, and he just lost. He just tapped out to Shamrock, who's pretty much damaged goods in this match because of the ankle injury. So wouldn't you think they're putting the King of the Ring winner higher than the IC title? What tripped me out the most was uh, how we were been talking about how this match has been and this tournament's been used to elevate a wrestler to put him over the top. Right. But, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. seeing from where we're at now it's kind of crazy to see that the rock became one of the biggest stars in wrestling uh became big movie star became super famous and ken shamrock um in and out with uh of the ufc in and out of the wwe has kind of a checkered past and uh it's kind of crazy to see how that all uh shook out at the end of that because like you were saying it's it's inverted fortune you know like i i didn't see that happening to i th- you at this point you would think shamrock's going to be the next big thing shamrock's going to be coming in right. the upper echelon the canes takers mankind stone colds of the world triple H. that's what i kind of thought and uh as jimmy hart would say gosh dang jaywalk baby inverted fortune i'd manage you baby cold beers on ice let's go <laughs> dude uh shamrock they were trying to get the rub here cj and it just didn't it, it didn't end up fitting but like i think we were the ones that discussed shamrock in the past where i was like dude why didn't it fit and you said all the other superstars but this was literally a depleted card where they put shamrock over and he just still didn't get over really well the problem was they were trying to put him over as a sympathetic baby face instead of a monster right um, because they kept playing this injury, like, oh my god, he's fighting through so much, and he wouldn't sell it. If you, I think the only way to elevate him in the way he did this is they put over. He has one ankle, and he's able to do these crazy kicks, these crazy moves. He doesn't feel pain, like something like that probably yeah. could have elevated him. Again, I also think he just needed a talking piece, like give him a mouthpiece, and that right. could have elevated him too. Is he doesn't when have you see Bobby stuff. Lashley, you see Brock Lesnar. It's worked having a good manager to kind of help that intimidating factor so yeah 98 king of the ring ken shamrock's your king baby but now we're getting to that good good that good good that's right hell in a cell dude but you see mankind come out uh right off the bat he's got the chair throws the chair on top of the cage climbs it So what's that leave? We're starting this match on top of the ring. 
and things kind of escalate pretty quick. But the whole point of this was they're trying to top Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker a year before. They're like, how can we top this match? Let's start the match on top of the cage. CJ, dude, narrate what's about to happen. Yeah, there's something interesting about the whole thing is like, this match is again, Mick Foley and Terry Funk's brainchild of this part yeah. of it, the, the starting on top of the ring. And they had to convince Taker to do that. And Taker almost didn't do anything until the day of the show. And the biggest spot that, that um, everyone knows, it comes out pretty hot. Taker climbs up to the top of the cage. It's a little bit of a mini brawl. And you see Taker just throw right Foley off, off right out the gate. Yeah. The first thing I do notice about this match, though, is how flimsy that cage is, which comes into play really quick yeah. right after they have a thing in there. You see these, like, zip ties yeah. just popping everywhere as it goes through. But again, yeah, this um, they didn't decide to throw Mick off the cage until basically the day of the show. They finally like went through and like figured it out and like this is how it's gonna go. They had the plan. And yeah, that's essentially the biggest start. And again, one of the most iconic moments, maybe rivals the Montreal Screwjob of moments is Taker throwing Mankind off the top of the cell. That's pretty much the hottest start because then you get about five minutes of checking on Foley throughout the whole thing. It takes from those Japanese matches that you kept hearing about Terry Funk and Mick Foley going with like fireworks, thumbtacks, barbed wire. There's always this uh, this lore and um, mystique. This mystique, exactly, of those like uh, big those spots, big moments, those like visuals of these things. You guys like they've done this in Japan and this, and then like yeah. they're like, okay, well, what have you done in uh, the WWF? Exactly. That's one of the biggest things. You can talk the talk, but uh, Mick Foley jumped the jump, basically. him escalating it at the very beginning of the match too he walks out and he immediately throws the chair on top gets on top of the cage and right when he starts climbing the crowd goes bananas because that's like the stakes are this high it's this important um this is going to be real uh and then seeing taker come out and just taking the challenge and going up and you're like well you're about to see something really special really intense you know when they're both like standing up there it's crazy because, like, all the carnage that is just left behind, um, you know, mankind's just in rubble in that announcer's chair, just completely covered in trash. Terry Funk comes out. Um, referees come out and, like, medical people come out. Vince comes out. And it seems like it's going to end right then and there. But basically, they're just kind of buying time. And I one of the stories I heard was Undertaker and... Uh, Terry Funk have some words and they make it look like they're like kind of pissed at each other. But uh, yeah, that was the planned part though. That was the switcheroo. Yeah. Like all of that was planned. Every mm -hmm. piece of it from the toss to them coming out. The part that made it feel the most real again, this is the blurring of the lines that we finally see is that the fact that Vince came out. Exactly. Right? And like, it was like a break of character ish. Like this is, this is like, it takes away, like it makes Mick Foley a person. I think this is, again, this moment and a moment when he won the title were like two moments that elevated Mick Foley, not just yeah. mankind, not just Cactus Tag, not just dude love, but like you cared about the man in that moment. Cause like 
dude just got chucked off a cell through a table. Right. Um, so that was really cool to see. And like, again, looking back into it, that, all that was planned is yeah. I think almost crazier than the stuff that happens up next that was not planned. And I got to give it up for Jim Ross really elevating this whole happening right here because he's, you are convinced that this didn't go as planned. Mick is hurt. You know, when he's screaming, somebody stop the damn match. Someone get down here right now. You really feel like Jim is concerned, like that this has gone awry and the whole event is kind of uh, out of pocket, not working the way it's supposed to be. But then he gets back on the cell. He gets yes. back up there and then takes a choke slam that breaks the cell. This is the part that was not planned. Yeah. Like they, they planned the choke slam, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm, Taker had to have noticed it breaking. I don't know how they didn't move to a different part of the cell, but I guess, like, it's I guess the they're planning tied. for it to break. I guess if they're planning for it to, like, they're planning a possibility of a break that still is the safest part to do that spot. But at the same time, you would think you could put it somewhere else, but it's 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 just a weird that that's that was a lot the, in one match too, man. Like you go from that huge spot to just literally climb back up the cage and you go right through through the ring again. Well, again, that the second check on was real, and that's where like you see the ter- how smart Terry Funk is really because that whole actual talk in the ring and the whole back and forth where he choke slams Terry, they're buying time to make sure Mick isn't dead. Yeah, for real this time because the the cage toss was planned through the ring top of it to the ring was not and then um you see that iconic photo basically of the the um the tooth in the nose his was it left arm was it that isn't working dangling it's just like it's not attached at that point and he just goes through it The, the crazy thing is like after that spot they hit everything they planned if you go back and look at interviews like they're like one of the biggest things after you'll see in the rest of the match when you're walking through it and you see all these normal spots like thrown into the cage, blood shoes. Right. They get out thumbtacks. After the match is done, Taker and um, Mick are talking backstage, and um, Mankind Mick is saying, "Hey, hey, Take, did we get the thumbtacks in?" And Taker's like, "Look at your arm, man." And that's, that's just crazy. like one of the crazy backstories. Yeah, but not to like bury the lead at this point. But there's some thumbtacks in a Mick Foley match. Crazy. <laughs> Dude, and they they made a spot-on analogy. They're like, dude, Mankind's like a pincushion. Like, just keeps getting beat to shit. And he keeps coming back, which is great, but to his own, like, how does somebody like this guy who we've heard is cheap as fuck, like, would sleep on the floor of hotel rooms or go sleep in his car because he wanted to save money, and then you're putting your body through this? Like, how are you still alive or walking? Just makes no sense. Luck of the fool, I guess. Dude, and then that iconic, he almost broke him in half or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back without the rose-colored glasses and like, oh, my God, I'm so excited for this. I I wasn't invested because I wasn't worried, I think. I think at the time you were worried about the person, so you're like super invested. It didn't feel as long. But like, how is this going to keep going? Yeah, I'm like looking back now, I'm like, okay, well, Mick's still alive. So can we – Get going for a rewind it's a little different because yeah. you do know the outcome yeah so you don't have that like some of these matches like your tennessee lee and jeff jarrett you probably don't remember today but you remember the iconic spots with mick foley doing this um dude 
this whole event had kind of that wild, wild west feeling of wrestling, like that backyard feeling, you know, that it was like, it was dangerous. It was new still, um, to like the main world. Like I, I was talking to my roommates about it. I said, at this time, Stone Cold Steve Austin might be the biggest celebrity in the Ever, U.S. Yeah. at that time. And it's like, when was the last time the wrestling champion, the biggest star in the world? And that, that time, I think, would be John Cena would probably be Close, the last yeah. time. That's yeah. the closest, yeah. That's the closest. But I think uh, at that time, Stone Cold is the biggest wrestling star in, so far at that time, if not ever, you know. Well, now we've since we've seen mankind almost kill himself and twice. How do you how do you up up that? Like this guy's already put himself through hell. You don't, but dude, it was still cool. You get a first blood match. You get <laughs> you get Stone Cold battling Staff Infection versus your mask, not Phenom. Oh yes, it's. It's Kane in this preview show. I think I saw his like entrance like five times, the pyro and all that. Um, Kane in his voice box, the blood. Also, so Austin in the uh, lead up to this. How about that Austin 316 baseball jersey? That looked pretty sick, dude. Did you see the Sable um, 469 sign uh, in the crowd? <laughs> oh, God. That's funny too much um <laughs> how do i come back from that the voice box of kane dude we get uh we get kane out he's saying you know if i don't win the title here if i lose i'm gonna set myself on fire you see those gas tanks kind of sitting on the announce table everything like that we're not getting an inferno match we're getting a uh, first blood but if i lose i'm just gonna burn myself up interesting i really like this uh cane outfit at the time too this bright fire engine red real simple i think that's his first outfit isn't it i think so too yeah yeah it's, it's great for a first blood match i mean you're covered from head to toe and you're wearing a mask i'm like how do you lose dude just such a weird match too because you get cane out first with paul bearer then you get stone cold the glass breaks what the glass breaks two beers what three beers and eh, eh, we're talking wrestling staff infection and all he's got that elbow wrapped up in white first thing he does he enters the ring one of my favorite moves the thez press just freaking just gets on starts giving him the nuts flips him off this is no dq and it shows man this match goes outside this goes inside you see the cage starting to get lower, and they use that as a prop. You missed one of my favorite spots. He's beating him with the belt, and Kane just sits up like oh, nothing hit yeah. him. That's on my crazy. That's the craziest thing to start that match as well. Like that was cool to see. Like it really elevates Kane in that moment. It's kind of like how the, when, when we first were introduced to the Fiend, and he would just like pop up out of everything. It's the same idea. So yeah, I can't forget about that. He was a robot, man. He was a machine at the time. Yeah. Like nobody Brett beat him. Undertaker was scared to like hurt him for a while. It was just a, but this is, I'd, I'd say Kane's first chance at the WWF title, wouldn't you think? He's from only been around like six months at this time. From the match standpoint, one thing I really liked from the actual wrestling was that in the story of like what they were doing, you could tell that Kane was a lot bigger than him, that it was his size, his strength, um, 
that Stone Cold couldn't get over because it was just a straight ass whooping match. Stone Cold's got him, but he's trying to wrestle him. And anytime he tries to suplex him, can't pick him up. Anytime he tries to slam him, he gets countered. You know, and uh, like you were saying, he gets hit with the title belt, hits him with the chair, nothing. He just gets right back up. So it's like, how do you stop this guy? He's the the big red machine at this time. He's unstoppable. Well, again, He's that's why it, it didn't there. need to be a first well, blood another, match. Yeah, like it didn't need it didn't need that yeah. stipulation because I think that that kind of like lowers the match quality for me. Because especially because we do see Stone Cold's back start to bleed. Like right. early on in the match, then they're like, "Oh, they said they're not going to call it for a bloody nose or." Well, I'm like, a bloody nose would really, yeah, that they're count? just, yeah, they're trying to like make something up at that point. So yeah. again, they they kind of booked themselves into a corner with that, and I think like a straight up no DQ match would have just been great to see, and that would have, I think that would have been the the change in booking this match needed. But I think they again they didn't want to have Stone Cold take a pin. How do you do it without this stipulation? Well, and that's the thing, like, you do, at the end, you have everybody come out. They fight in, you know, the entrance ramp. They fight everywhere. They use the cage as a prop. It starts falling down on them, yeah. And yeah, then you have Foley coming people, out. Yeah, theatrics. But then to have Undertaker and Kane kind of, or not Undertaker and Kane, uh, Undertaker and Mankind come back out, and that's kind of how this deal is settled. Was that planned? Because, like, Taker was, like, in, like, regular clothes. Which right, like yeah, some of that. Wearing like a sweatshirt or something. <laughs> I was like, is this planned? I was like, did they just like try to get like, the finish not going the way they want? Or, I mean, the cool, the, I think the coolest thing about the whole match also was like them, like Jim Ross, again, pulling it out at certain spots with this one. And he's over the top sometimes, but like make him bleed from the back of the head. And I'm like, that's an interesting way yeah. you can get Kane to bleed, I guess. Yeah. And then like you see Stone Cold actually doing that. But yeah, that was a, a weird. It was weird to see Taker like a hoodie. I was like, <laughs> take her, huh? A little warm up, yeah. We didn't we didn't get that option on WWF No Mercy. Yeah. Put him in a hoodie. Um, dude, and I, I just feel like that was kind of this thrown together. It seems like they didn't plan this out because you had you had mankind and Stone Cold feuding. You had Undertaker and Kane feuding. And they just let's just mix it up last minute. So no real prep here, but we see, you know, we see Kane get the win after numerous chair shots from everybody. And that's what was weird. I see Undertaker come out. I was like, oh, he's coming for Kane, but he hit Stone Cold with the chair shot. I shots. think it was a it was a miss. I think it, like he like um and didn't mean to hit Stone Cold. And that's what like the the plan was. It was like a um a pseudo hit. I think it was aiming for Stone Cold. And then you get Stone Cold falling and do a very blatant yeah. blade job. So I was like, what's going on? Who's feuding with who at this point? Like yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you see Stone Cold bloody like a dog. And then what was the thing? Undertaker decides to pour, like, gasoline on the referee. Yeah. What What is going on? Like, more of just confusion. Anyway, I was definitely um, not the ending <laughs> I expected, to say but, the least. And I expected Kane to win. Dude, but Undertaker costs basically Stone Cold the championship. Like that pseudo uh, chair shot started. Uh, was that the one that started the blood? I believe. Yeah, I mean that's the one that kayfabe started the blood. It was like a yeah. really bad blade job. Like right. the camera's like on him, and it's on like the top of his head, like straight down here. And there's like a, a picture as well. I can send you as well to this one. It's like he cut deep on himself. So, Dude. but Jay, you just witnessed Kane's first ever WWF title run. I believe it's his only WF title one too. 
for the WWF Championship. Yeah, because I remember um, the Raw after it was like unveiling. It's like this is the new era. This is the new heavyweight champion. This is um, all supposed to be kind of ushering in this, uh, you know, because at this time wrestling is taking this big transition into the Attitude Era, much more away from like the fluorescent style um, baby faces and you know, you kind of your comical heels like. Kane was supposed to be like kind of serious, you know, the backstory that they created behind him, you know, built him off of a, a really established legendary wrestler in the undertaker. So they kind of like, he was this big guy that they just kind of built for success. And he, he, I like that. He uh, ends up being a future politician too. That's uh pretty funny to think about now. When, so we just witnessed a pay-per-view that had Kane win the title uh, uh, underwhelming undercard other than Shamrock winning King of the Ring. So we're elevating Shamrock. He just beat the IC champ. We had Kane win the title, and we already know Mick Foley's batshit crazy. <laughs> but then to have Kane lose the next night on Raw to Stone Cold, other than that Mick Foley spot, what did this pay-per-view serve? Um, a waste that- of my time. <laughs> oh, 98, baby. You don't know what you're going to get. Neither does the WWE know what they're going to get. It's that shock value. They really want to get shock value for sure. They want to get you shocked. And like at that time, this is kind of the most extreme mainstream wrestling had been. You know, this was like your, uh, we were talking about earlier the Japanese matches that you heard about that would be super violent, have all kinds of crazy uh, gadgets and and violent stuff and then uh bringing that here and this is going on during the monday night wars and you know it's just trying to top each other trying to just keep elevating um what wrestling is turning into at this point well dude jay since you're our you're you're almost like our our guy who hasn't been ruined by wrestling review you know you're innocent still (laughs) i want you to give me your wrestler of the night and then your pay-per-view rating, one being terrible, 10 being great. Gotcha. For me, the wrestler of the night has to be uh, The Rock because you kind of see him come in with the nation and you see him kind of like doing that for Shamrock, taking the hit and letting Shamrock take the take king of the ring. And he kind of sets himself up with like humility, even though he pays this brash character. But you see like good wrestling, good body size, um, you see the charisma that's just oozing off of him. His character's developing, and like it's kind of just seeing him uh, juxtaposed with how he is now, and seeing him at that time was just really cool to witness um, during this rewatch. Personally, so give me a ranking, man. One through ten, ten being good. So uh, it has one of the highest highs in wrestling history, but the everything around it, around this big caveat point, is kind of lackluster so i would give it a 7.5 even though looking back at it i thought it was so much greater but seeing it from this vantage point with all the other stuff around it um and like in terms of just the wrestling i'd give it a 7.5 7.5 all right cj man wrestler of the night give me your ranking i mean it has to be the rock i completely agree with everything that was said there i think this is again one of the first times he's the one that i think actually elevated himself then that night where everyone else either stayed the same or went down 
in a lot of the way it went through. And Shamrock was a close one, but I think just the way he was built and the way he sold, like kind of was the writing on the wall of his future. So the rock was the one I think definitely was wrestler of the night. And so take away the rose colored glasses. And because how jaded we are now looking back and rewatching it, I have to give it a six for a rewatch just because you don't get emotionally invested the same way you would in 98 thinking Foley just died. And without that emotional investment, I think, and knowing what happens and you're just like, okay, and this is like, feels longer than it should. I think that takes away at least one to two points. So I have to give it a six of a rewatch. CJ gives it a six. (laughs) Mankind gives it an eight. Dude, uh, to me, mankind. Sorry, this match just showing me how batshit crazy was. That's all I can think about is how many times he showed up other than China and DX. Like, he didn't die after, like, the first move. At that point, nothing was killing him. He just kept showing up. As far as rewatching it, I did not enjoy it. I'll be honest. I enjoyed seeing those spots, but I'm right there with CJ. Uh, 98, I was loving it. I love seeing Sable. love seeing Stone Cold come out. But there were so many parts that weren't what I wanted to see. So I'm going to go right there with CJ, but I'm going to bring it down a notch. I'm going to go five, and I feel real bad about that. But I've seen Judgment Day 98, Renegade, but this one wasn't good. It's it's unfortunate because you are getting these Attitude Era stars, and you guys make fun of WrestleMania 12. I should punch you up. Dude, uh, another one in the books. King of the Ring 98, Shamrock. The rattlesnake, jaywalk, walking the walk and talking the talk. Our lucha taking over, hitting it where it counts. The Maddie Daddy. Next week, we got Money in the Bank 2011, a little CM Punk, John Cena. CJ, get us out of here. Yeah, definitely. Great night talking to you guys, even though it was a lackluster card on that one. Make sure you always check out what I'm doing over there. You can always check out what I'm talking about with wrestling or fantasy football at KidFlashFF on the Twitters. Check it out. And also, I post a lot of my workout videos. I'm training right now for a world championship qualifier and strongman. So check out those as well. It's not Scott Steiner. It's CJ Flash. I'll have you hear me. Jaywalk, dude, thank you for coming on as a guest. Where can they find your work? And if they just want more of talking the talk and walking the walk with Mr. J. Watt. Well, thanks, Maddie. I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was a really good time. Uh, if you guys want to see any of my writings or see the web magazine that I, uh, I edit, write, and uh, illustrate for, it's jaywalk.com, J-E-A-W-O-K.com, or catch me on Twitter and Instagram at jaywalkmedia, J-E-A-W-O-K media it's the wrestling man podcast it's the maddie daddy and as always it's been our pleasure my treasure yeah 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 yeah
You 